to the October edition of Write on Audio, the podcast for writers everywhere. My name's Tiffany Clare, and in this edition of the podcast, we'll hear from science fiction and fantasy writer Ben Aronovich. We'll also be hearing from Write On team members. Our first listener contributor, writer and artist Aisha Denise, tells us about Black History Month, while Holly King shares highlights from her Write On Extra Monday Moments page, with writing by Matt Wixey and Patsy Middleton. You'll also get to enjoy extracts from Michelle Sutton's October Showcase page and hear about the free pen-to-print writing classes coming up in November. But first, getting our creative juices flowing and celebrating October's National Poetry Day. A few lines from Kipling's poem, If. A reminder of what we writers do most days. If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss and lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your term long after they are gone and so hold on where there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue or walk with kings nor lose the common touch, if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you but none too much, if you can fill the unforgiving minute with sixty seconds worth of distance run. Yours is the earth, and everything that's in it, and which is more, you'll be a writer, hun. Now, to help you fill some more of those unforgiving minutes, here's write-on editor Madeline White, welcoming you to our October podcast. You're listening to Write On Audio, for writers everywhere. This October has seen some astounding written and visual content on Write On Extra, much of it celebrating Black History Month. As a monthly digest, the Write On Audio podcast is only able to give you a flavour, so do go back and immerse yourself and be inspired through pentoprint.org. Thank you also for feeding back around our pilot podcast. We're so glad you enjoyed it and look forward to bringing you some wonderful new voices and ideas over the coming months. November's episode, which will be aired towards the end of the month, sees Ethna Cullen sharing her thoughtful Tuesday page drawn from Right On Extra. We'll be looking at remembrance and commemoration while referencing light and hope with a nod to Diwali, the Festival of Light, courtesy of our showcase editor, Dia Padia, linking beautifully to our season's theme of writing with wonder. We're actively looking for new contributors to our podcast also, with the listeners' contributor slot open for submissions. Do check out guidance on my editor's introduction on pentaprint.org. If you enjoy Aisha's Denise take on Black History Month, why not challenge yourself to creating something for us? If a larger slot seems a bit daunting, I'd love to hear from you if you've been inspired by Max Wicks's Reason to be Cheerful poem. Do let us know, with a short recording, prose or poetry, why you have reason to be cheerful. It can be anything from an ode to your cat to a memory of a beloved grandparent. In my case, I'm already planning my Christmas biscuits, inspired by my German grandmother, my Omar. We hope you enjoy this episode of Write on Audio, 
And do continue to listen, engage, and make sure you get in touch with your opinions and ideas. Ben Aronovich is the author of the Rivers of London series of fantasy novels. He has written TV episodes for Doctor Who, Casualty and Jupiter Moon, as well as spin-off novels based on Doctor Who and Blake Seven. In this recording, Ben talks about his writing and offers tips to budding authors in a session which was recorded in front of a live audience at Pen to Prince Read Fest in 2016. You can also find an exclusive interview with Ben in issue six of Write On. I wish, I wish there were secrets of my success because I would have done it like 20 years ago if I had known how to do it was that easy. Uh, there are no secrets to success. Mm. There, there, you only you write what you like, and then hopefully other people like it. That's the best you can do. You can There are people who say, "Oh, you must research your market." I, you, I absolutely guarantee, if you aim for the zeitgeist, by the time you've written your novel, you will have missed the zeitgeist. It's gone. And since no one knows what the next zeitgeist is going to be, because it's a moving target, there's no point in trying to work out what's going to be popular next. So you just write what you like, write what you, you have to write well. And uh, I recommend a book called How Not to Write, How Not to Write a Novel by Howard Mifflinmark and somebody else. And basically it goes through all the things that will guarantee you won't get published. <laughs> all the various things if you put in your book, you are. my favorite being, oh, Mrs. Pretty Paws, you know me so well, which is like, don't why you don't put cute cats into your, that know everything you're talking about in theory. <laughs> oh, like, this is pretty poor, you know, so you just don't. <laughs> and uh, my favourite one is, um, uh, our advice to you is if you put a dream sequence, cut out all the dream sequences but one, and then cut that one out as well. <laughs> <laughs> and, and useful kind of advice like that, you see. So, so it's full of kind of very useful things like that. So I, re I recommend that for just kind of style. But in the end, in content, you should write about something you want to write about. I mean, I always started on the basis of like, they're not writing books that I want to read. I will go and buy, you know, I run out of books that I want to read. So this is a whole basis of fan fiction, essentially. See, except that I, if you make it your original work, then you don't end up on a sad little bit of the internet somewhere. You get to, you get to get money. Which is very important. You see, once you're a professional writer, you can't write for free anymore. You stop, it's like, you resent things like letters. I had to write a letter to my to, oh, my son's going to university and I'm trying to get him accommodation, I had to write a letter and I really resented writing the letter I'm going, do you know I get paid for this? <laughs> this is time, is money words are money no I don't want to write you a letter you should just let, you should just bow down give him a room got get rid of him work to do ah, another question, come on you're very descriptive. Did you start off writing books or did you start off writing uh, something else? Uh, well, my career started with, with scripts and it was a spectacular failure, my career. <laughs> I, I wrote three professional scripts before they never asked me back into the BBC ever again. I don't know what I did, but I did something wrong and they never let me back. Um, I've always been quite descriptive. It's, uh, you have your own style. When you write, you will find your own style, and my style is very descriptive. Um, other people are very terse. I mean, I've never seen a sentence I wouldn't want to put six or seven subordinate clauses into. Uh, and you know, against the advice, which is always write very short, simple sentences, you will find your own style. If you write, you will find your own style. 
You have to find your own style. You cannot write someone else's. There are some good things, like just don't put adjectives in if you can help it. Don't use anything except said or asked, you know, except once every th And don't put an adjective on that. I can't remember. There's a term for that, but I can't remember what it is. So you, people should be able to tell what your character's tone is from the dialogue and from the actions that surround the dialogue. Every so often, and then when you do mm. say something like, he shouted screamily or something, I don't know, mm. it has more impact. But if every other, every, every piece of dialogue goes, you know, said quickly, said slowly, said fast, and you, know, and you only have to read Victorian novels where people are ejaculating all over the place. <laughs> he ejaculated, you know. Like, Good God, he ejaculated. You read that, it, you, it just spoils the whole place. Which is up completely the wrong mental images. Um, I remember that in King Solomon's Wine, King Solomon's Minds. And it starts with, Good God, he ejaculated. And it's like, I'm sorry, I can't cope with it beyond that point, really. That's really it. So I kind of care it was a classic. And this was a period when I would read anything, by the way. I was 12, and I used to read about two books a day, and I, I literally had no taste. I was just, nom, 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 nom. I would use a library like this, and I used to go to the, the ch I worked my way through the children's section, and I worked my way through the science section, section of the adults. And that was it, you know, it's like, ah, oh, no, there are no more science. Like, like Ozymandias. <laughs> well, Benaronovich wept. Well, there were no more science fiction books. <laughs> to read. You might have to read literature or something. What is the first book you remember reading and who's your favourite author now? Okay. The first book I remember reading was some dreadful Crystal Griffin thing that you got and you had like the Bronze Griffin and the Silver Griffin and the Gold Griffin and I remember nothing about it. <laughs> the first book I actually remember anything about was The Last Planet or Star Rangers is the other title by uh, a, a woman called Andre Norton, obviously writing under a pseudonym. And uh, she, uh, her real name was Mary Norton, but not the one that wrote The Borrowers. I made that mistake for about 30 years. <laughs> they're actually two different women, although they have very similar styles. And um, that was my first science fiction book, and that really was like my downfall, because after that it was just like science fiction oh, for me. And my favorite author now is still Pratchett, I'm afraid. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think you probably will be until I'm dead. Mm -hmm. You know, I, 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 someone might come along, but I still think it's still pressure. I mean, you know, overall, he's, there's plenty of other authors I love mm -hmm. to read and I love to listen to, but I have to say, you know, when I think, oh, wouldn't it be great to be Pratchett, apart from the, the Alzheimer's bit, yeah. which I don't want. So you get to a certain age, you start, if people aren't younger than you are dying on the news, and you're like, oh, <laughs> Never happened. You know, I, I had a. It's, it's a. I just really hate that. I hate the whole. I hate the whole thing. When you know, I went into the hospital, I'm in the hospital for sleep apnea, and I go in. It's St. Bart's, right? And all the registrars are like twelve, <laughs> and they're all type tall, skinny, hipster, young, skinny hipster guys, with kind of a stand with that funny weird curved back that hipsters do, and and sitting there, they're twelve. They're twelve. I'm being treated by twelve-year-olds. What Peter Brown books are you planning, or are you thinking of doing something completely off-planet and doing a June-like sort of galaxy civilization? I, 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 yes to both. Um, Lots, please. Yes. Okay, I have to, I have a standard. This is, this is the only question I ever always get asked. Oh. The only, no, it's a good question, but it means I have a very standard answer for it, I'm afraid. So, uh, 
basically, uh, I plan to keep writing the Peter Grant books until one of the three conditions happens, right? One, either I run out of ideas, two, people stop buying them, in which case there's no point writing them, and three, I can afford a yacht. <laughs> I've got a challenge for you, Ben. I've okay. got some quick fire questions, but you've okay. got to keep your answers short and preferably one word. All right. All right. So should we have a go? Shoot. See if we can do it. All right. Okay, then. Uh, Star Wars or Star Trek? Uh, both. Okay. <laughs> PC or Mac? PC. Handwritten or print? Print. Um, Favourite Doctor? <laughs> As in who? I have to say Sylvester because he was mine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Gold or silver? Gold or silver, silver. Night or day? Day. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Books or movies? Books. Cake or pie? Cake. Mortgage or rent? Oh, mortgage. Personal chef or personal trainer? Personal trainer, I've got one. <laughs> Laptop <laughs> or desktop? Desktop. Um, wash dishes or do the laundry? What, which one do I prefer to do or yeah. which one can I persuade my son to do? Yeah. <laughs> wash uh, dishes because my, I can get my son to do the laundry now but I can't get him to wash the dishes probably. Money or fame? Uh, money because you can buy fame. Okay. <laughs> Sci-fi or fantasy? Uh, I, don't, I, I deny the distinction. Okay. Fruit or vegetables? Fruit. Wine or beer? Neither. Comedy <laughs> or mystery? Oh... Can I have a comedy mystery? No. <laughs> okay. Uh, jazz or classical? Classical. Tattoos or piercings? Tattoos. Antique or new? Depends on what we're talking about. <laughs> I mean, antique furniture, yes. Okay. Antique cars, no. Okay. Write on audio for writers everywhere. Holly King is the editor of Write on Extra's popular Monday Moments feature, which goes live on the first Monday of each month. Her October page is a true celebration of Black History Month, with astounding artwork and writing around belonging and identity. But for now, here's Holly with a couple of her favourite pieces from the last 18 months of Monday Moments, including a poem by Matt Wixey, our current Writer of the Month. I'm Holly, Monday Moments editor for Write On. Today I am going to share extracts from the best of Monday moments, beginning with a poem. 27 Reasons to be Cheerful by Matt Wixey 1. Watch people when they talk about something they love. See them come alive with joy. 2. Cows have best friends. 3. Rats laugh when they're tickled. 4. Dolphins sing to their babies. 5. The actors who voiced Mickey and Minnie Mouse were married in real life. 6. In 1914... British and German soldiers played football at Christmas. 7. All matter is made of stars. And 8. We drink the same water the dinosaurs did. Everything is a part of everything else. 9. A man in Australia had a rare blood type. He donated blood every three weeks for 64 years and saved the lives of 2.4 million people. Can you imagine a love like that? 10. A woman called Marie Robinson sat at her son's grave and a robin hopped onto her hand and stayed there for minutes until it flew away. 11. Window cleaners dress up like Spider-Man to cheer up sick kids in hospital. 12. An astronaut wrote his daughter's initials on the moon. The newsreader said they'll be there for 50,000 years. 13. The Russian word for astronaut means star sailor. 14. 
cats purr to themselves when they're worried, and 15 bring their catches to us because they think we don't know how to hunt. 16. Being kind releases endorphins, and 17. We want to share good news more than bad, and 18. People blind from birth smile, even though they've never seen one. We are all meant to be happy. 19. I saw a video where someone fed sugar water to a dying bumblebee until it recovered, just because they could. 20. We are all miracles, links in a chain of four billion years. The chances of you being you are almost zero, yet here you are. 21. If you are reading this, you have survived everything. Keep going. 22. Bob Ross said, however you think it should be, that's exactly how it should be. 23. There are so many more public libraries than branches of McDonald's. 24. The kid with the stutter from educating Yorkshire is now a motivational speaker. So is a man who was almost a school shooter. The world is full of people who said, no, no more. 25. Recently, I need to tell you, recently I've been reading about sea otters. They sleep on their backs in the water and hold hands so they don't drift apart and lose themselves at sea. 26. When they have pups, they do the same for them. A scientist said they embrace their young with an affection that is barely credible. 27. Now we move on to an article by Patsy Middleton on Invisible Colours. The colour of a person's skin should be invisible if we love our fellow man. The colour of a vagrant's tattered clothes should also be invisible. There is a person wearing them. The colours of flags ought not make us hate those who do not wave the same banner. Countless colours are invisible to many people because their eyes, though open, do not see. Life's daily burdens dulls their perception. Don't let the colours of life be invisible. Step your thoughts away from the mundane and look around you. Nature's colours surround us, yet who has seen the full magnificence of daybreak? A smudge of purple divides dark sea and sky, heralding the dawn. The street turns orange and spreads like spilled liquid across the horizon. Soon it is yellow against the azure sky and a new day has begun. Most people sleep through this daily miracle. Dawn's colours invisible to them. When sun shines through a raindrops, a rainbow appears to amaze and delight those with eyes looking upward. And who, in spring, has looked towards treetops and seen bright new filigree leaves bursting forth? Not many. They miss this breathtaking beauty. But the most beautiful invisible colours shine in a person's eyes. The glisten of sympathetic tears. The sparkle of elation when they see another's achievements. The light of understanding a sad person's pain. The bright empathy of those living around them. Don't forget you can submit your work to be featured on the next Monday Moments page by emailing pentaprint at lbbd.gov.uk. Check out our website for more information, pentaprint.org. As we've already heard, October is Black History Month, a time that allows us all to reflect on why it is so important for us to achieve a better understanding of the impact of black culture and heritage on our society. In issue 10 of Write On magazine, accessible on pentaprint.org, poet Marvin Thompson talks about his poetry being a form of activism. In this inaugural Listener of the Month piece, Aisha Denise builds on these ideas, telling us what Black History Month means to her.
Hello. Allow me to introduce myself. My name is Aisha Denise. I'm a recovering visual artist and I'm a contributor to Write On magazine. My practice, Peach Mango Maverick, encompasses text and image. It also asks questions, sometimes it even answers them. Words are very important to me. I've been asked to contribute to the Pentaprint Black History Month podcast and share some of my views in this episode. The first thing that comes to mind with the question of Black History Month is why Black History Month? But actually, there's another question. And after reflection, that question is, what is history? And for that, I turn to the 1941 Oxford Dictionary, which says it's a methodical record of public events, past events and study of these. That wasn't really big enough and it didn't really answer my question. So I went further and I went to the 1959 Everyman Thesaurus, which gave me these words. History, record, trace, tradition, footsteps, register, index, catalogue, and many others. Now, the question of Black History Month, my obvious answer is that black African history has been removed from world history. I explored the antonyms of history and found these words, obliterate, erase, delete, unrecorded, unregistered, and even the word blackout. Words are incredible. The reason I went to the older Oxford Dictionary and Thesaurus is because those are the books of the era that shaped my lived experience. And in my opinion, when the day comes that all people's histories are included in an equitable way in world history, we will no longer need the prefix of the word black or even African, as it will be clear that we're just talking about history. But that day hasn't come yet. In terms of Black History Month, its origins were in 1915, half a century after the 13th Amendment abolished enslavement in the United States. And a Harvard-trained historian... Carter G. Woodson and a prominent minister, Jesse E. Moreland, founded the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History. And that in turn evolved into Black History Month. It migrated to the UK with Ansel Wong, who was head of the Ethnic Minority Unit in the former GLC, and Linda Bellos. They're credited with sort of migrating it across to the UK. And Mia Morris, Uh, OBE, is credited with taking up the gauntlet and preserving it for a number of years. My perspective on black history really focuses on the British Caribbean trajectory because that's my lived experience and that is the context of the UK experience. And for me, there is a consolidation in as much that people generally accept that there's a need to have black history. So we've made some inroads in that people accept that it's missing, but we have a number of other challenges moving forward. There are debates within the community about the word black, about the word African, but for myself, I prefer the concept of the sixth region where the African Union has actually embraced its diaspora outside of the continent as part of the continent. So that's where my immediate thoughts are. I was fortunate. Those words that uh, describe the sort of erasure and the absence of African history 
in my childhood had an impact at school. Topics like geography and history and social studies always had a good foundation for some kind of ridicule. And in my actual experience, even gardening had some element of ridicule added to it. And these things were exacerbated when we went on school trips, particularly museums, because obviously there was nothing of us in those institutions. And now slight changes, but still largely the structure that is in place now is the structure that I grew up with, because many of the initiatives and events that they have are not permanent features. So we have a situation where we've seen what the history of it is. We've seen kind of there's been a period of consolidation. And then there's a bigger question in terms of where things are going. To take it back to my personal lived experience, the gaps that I experienced, many other parents were aware of. And so a lot of the Windrush generation set up Saturday schools across the UK to be able to give their children a level of education that they perceived was actually missing and still is to this day. So I benefited from that. And I also benefited from the fact that my parents ensured that there was black literature in our house and they ordered books from America and went as far as they had to to get those books. So I read Men of Colour, which is a series of books. I read John Ball's Nigger, which was published in 1974. I read the British Empire magazines, which published in 1972. And I read Black Like Me, which was published in 1961. And I read those books about the age of 10, between the age of 10 and 13. So I had a really good foundation. We also had books by C.L.R. James in our house, Eric Williams, Walter Rodney, and so many other authors. I was just surrounded by black literature and projects that promoted black literature. So I was exceptionally lucky. And for that, I can only have gratitude for my parents, for them understanding what was missing and, and trying to find ways to, to do something about what was missing. How we go forward, I think, is a challenge because consolidation is, is important. But the challenge to the next generation, and I guess to my generation at the moment, but also still exists, is to ensure that we're written into the future. We're struggling with the past and even the contemporary, but we need to ensure there's a place for us in the future. Black Panther gave us a fleeting glance of what that potential could look like. And the implications and the ramifications were enormous. We saw that. But it was um, in isolation. It's the only movie of sorts that was given budget to that scale to have that impact. So I think that's really the challenge for the future generation. Now, I was asked to reflect on things like my personal recommendations. And as I have focused on the British Caribbean trajectory, my choice reflects that. And I think it's really important to go to the beginning and understand the context in which all of this sits. Mary Prince was the first woman to petition Parliament, but she also wrote an early book, uh, one of the earliest books in 1831 as a woman, and it was a history of Mary Prince. I know Phillips, Phyllis Wheatley was the first woman who ever published a book, and she was an African poet in the States. But back to the Caribbean trajectory, we've got Edward Wilmot Blyden, Christianity and Islam and the Negro Race, which is a really very in-depth read. And he was from St. Thomas, which is in the Caribbean. We also have Marcus Garvey. We have um, Amy Césaire. We have Eric Williams, Edouard Glisson. And the other two that I would recommend would be To Shoot Hard Labour, I think is essential reading uh, by Samuel Smith from Antigua and Barbuda. And also Thomas Thistlewood's Diaries, which I think is a really important read in the context of the British presence in the Caribbean and Akala, Ruins of Empire, which is a more contemporary reflection. 
and Robbie Shillenham racing the undeserving poor are what I would consider some good starting pieces to engage with. And then you can branch out from there. Also engage with black history events that are in your area, because most people will have some something, uh, no matter how small. And so it's important to take a step in that direction and to support the local initiatives and to do something there. So those would be my recommendations. Subscribing to Write On Audio is easy and will mean that you'll be notified the moment new editions are released. Many podcast apps will deliver new editions directly to your feed. In your favourite podcast app, search for Write On Audio and then look for a button or link that says subscribe. If you're listening on Spotify, you need to choose follow to subscribe, just as you would for a musician or band. We'll print more details in the show notes for this podcast, where you will also find links to our contributors and to the online version of Write On magazine. Check out pentoprint.org for more fabulous Black History Month content. In addition to Holly's Monday Moments page, Thursday Connectors sees Fazana Hakim sharing perspectives from emerging writers about black women who've left a mark on our cultural consciousness. You can also see some great interviews with notable black writers, including author Aisha Haruna Atta. We'll post links in the show notes of this podcast so you can access the write-on publications. October is also Dyslexia, ADHD and Mental Health Awareness Month. Here's Michelle Sutton, editor of Write On Extra's October Showcase, with some pieces by writers dealing with these issues. Hello, I'm Michelle, an artist, writer and half of writing partnership LM Towton. I'm also the editor for Write On Extra's October Showcase. For this month, I wanted to feature some underrepresented writers, in particular neurodivergence, as October is Dyslexia, ADHD and Mental Health Awareness Month. Of course, it's also Halloween, so there will be some spooky stories too. Now I'd like to read two submissions. One from the other half of LM Towton themed around mental health, and the other from neurodivergent writer Marta Puccini. She Ran by Lauren Towers She Ran She wasn't sure what she was running from, just that it didn't smell like a person. It smelt like it might have been once, a really long time ago. Maybe. What she did know was that the company pass card around her neck gave her access to any building they owned, and there was one nearby. The one she worked in most days was around the next bend. She risked a glance behind. It was still coming. It looked just like a man with a determined gait and somewhere important to be. He wasn't moving fast enough to draw attention to himself, unlike her. She slammed into people as she ran, eliciting abuse and anger. No one else seemed to notice the man coming after her was essentially dead. No one tried to stop him or slow him down. They just moved without a murmur. Her body slammed into the glass door as she missed the electronic touchpad in her panic. The security guard glanced up, recognised her and waved. He ambled over with a look of confusion on his face, frowning in concern at her obvious distress. Not supposed to let you in on a Saturday night. All shut down for the weekend. His voice was muffled by the door. He jumped as she thumped it with her fist. Her breathing, too ragged to allow her to form words, fogged the glass. He faltered under the weight of her desperation and bleeped open the door. 
She hurtled in and yanked the door shut behind her, just as the dead thing caught up. Its hand, so human-looking, clunked as it hit the glass with such force it should have broken bones. It didn't even flinch. It reacted like an animal in front of a mirror, continuing to attack the reinforced glass as if keeping going would somehow make a dent eventually. She watched, momentarily triumphant, until the security man lumbered off, muttering about calling the police and tasers, not once glancing at the thing clawing at the door, but side-eyeing her instead. This was not going to end well. Post-Pandemic by Marta Puccini We loved each other deeply, not just my partner and I, but a whole load of people. We loved each other and the earth, and we didn't let the haters stand in our way any more. So many of us had been silent and defeated for far too long. We had taken the systemic abuse of the institutions, of the authorities and of those they had successfully brainwashed. Taken their abuse, complained, talked about how things should be instead, then put our heads down and carried on with our work. Because otherwise, how would we eat? For my part, I had become too ill and too disillusioned to put my actions where my mouth was. Then suddenly, a whole lot of people around the world had time. And some of those who didn't did their best to make time. At a time when so many of us found our lives in danger, we also found that this was the opportunity we had been waiting for. Change could beget more change, when for a short few months the government was subsidising a lot of people's livelihoods. We used this time to organise ourselves into community groups and to educate ourselves on all that needed to be done and on how best we might achieve it. Those who had some money to spare gave it to those who did not, as they wouldn't be forced to risk their lives because the government had decided to stop paying their wages and send them to die instead. When we were told to go back to work, we said no. When the police threatened to arrest us, we said, fine, go ahead. And they did. But at some point they couldn't continue arresting everybody. They were running out of space, choked by the taxes which we were now refusing to pay. It took a long time, but with patience and kindness we managed to get through to those who thought we were lawless freaks ruining society. We managed to convince them that we weren't ruining it. We were changing it for the good of all beings and of the universe. I did my part by writing. We'll share a link to Michelle Sutton's page on Write On Extra as part of the show notes for this podcast. Each month, Pen to Print, our parent organisation, offers a range of courses, workshops and seminars for writers of all levels of experience. Here are some highlights for November. As well as Pen to Print's regular classes on creative writing, poetry, playwriting and screenwriting, November will be the first Pen to Print's Sci-Fi Fantasy Month. Featuring Fantasy Writing Workshop, The Rules of Magic with Claire Buss on the 11th of November, 6pm till 8pm. Building a World with A.G. Riddle, an author talk in partnership with the Wilbur and Niso Smith Foundation on the 16th of November, 6.30pm to 7.40pm. And a conversation with sci-fi writer Tony Ballantyne and write-ons Ethna Cullen on 18th of November, 1pm till 3pm. To book free tickets and get more details of these and many other events being held in November, visit pentoprint.org forward slash events. Do get in touch with us if you're interested in creating a Listener of the Month contribution or want to tell us about your reasons to be cheerful.
We'd also love to hear what you think of Write On Audio. The email address is pentaprint at lbbd.gov.uk. We'll post this address and a link to November's courses and classes in the show notes for this podcast. Thank you for listening to the October edition of Write On Audio. Please don't forget to subscribe in your favourite podcast app and join us again for the November edition. Until then, enjoy your writing. is an alternative stories production for pen to print sound design editing and production are by chris gregory and the presenter is me tiffany clare